if you have ever read 1 Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter, as they call it, at the end of it, it says, these things remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so we're going to touch a little bit on both faith, hope, and love, but I really want to, if I can, I really want to uh, camp out on, on the love part of it. I'm sorry, on the faith part of it some tonight. Um, and I'm going to tie it into what we've been talking about for two years now, or a year and a half, uh, to the new covenant, the finished work. I want you to see why it's important that you understand faith in the context of what we've been learning as a congregation about the finished work. And so that'll make sense here as we get towards the end. But go on this journey with me, and you're going to learn something, hopefully tonight, about how God wants to use faith, hope, and love in your life. Um, and interesting enough, I asked some questions, some people today, this question, um, what's the difference between faith and hope? And a lot of people can't answer that. Uh, or if they do answer, they basically just say the same things in different ways. Uh, but faith and hope are different. And I want to show you where that difference comes in. We'll read it here in a bit. Uh, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. We're starting verse 1. And I'm going to read this in two versions as I've been doing. We're going to do it in the NSB, and then I'm going to read it in the mirror. And the reason I use the mirror is because it's kind of like a lexicon and a concordance and a Bible had a baby. And uh, it did. And it actually takes the ancient Greek and breaks it out into context for you so you can get a little bit of a better understanding of what's being said. I don't use it as my main text because I like to ground in something that's a little bit more traditional. And then we go to the mirror to try to get some more understanding. If you ever have a question about any of these verses in the mirror, go look it up in the Greek lexicon because they're all New Testament verses. And you can see why they came up with what they came up with on your own. I never want you to take my word for it. Go check it out for yourself. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, circumcision is a, it's a marker of the law. It was a part of the Jewish law. Um, and so what he's saying is saying if you receive circumcision, if you receive the law, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Uh, I use this scripture when I preach my message on no more mixture. We talked about how you can't have just part of the law and then embrace part of your life with grace. You either have grace and the finished work of what Jesus has done, or you embrace the entire law. And there's also a scripture in the, in the Bible that says if you, if you judge according to the law, you'll be judged according to the law. And so if we use the law to measure and divide people, then we'll be measured and divided by the same thing. If we use grace, then grace will be the measure God gives us. And so as we go through this, I want you to see that this is repeated over and over and over again. I have people that, that ask me questions about, you know, I can't believe you believe this or you're preaching this. It's not seem to be the popular thing of the day of what people are saying. And, and I say, I don't know how you can read the New Testament and miss it because it is everywhere. I mean, it is everywhere, over and over and over again. You have to do a lot of talking yourself out of it to talk yourself out of living a mixed life between the Old and New Covenant. You have been severed from Christ, verse 4. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. As I mentioned on Sunday, it is impossible to embrace part of the Old Covenant and part of the New Covenant. It's one or the other. It's the equivalent of trying to run in two separate directions at the same time. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. I want you to pay attention to that verse because we're going to learn a little bit more about it in the Mirror Bible. For those of you that are like, this sounds boring, just wait, okay? Just wait. <laughs> you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. Let's dive into this in the mirror and let's get our minds blown for a moment. Christ defines your faith. He is your freedom from anything from which the law could ever free you. Find your firm footing in this freedom. Do not let religion trip you up or your ringing cell phone again. <laughs> and harness you to a system of rules and obligations. Do not let religion trip you up again. Religion will pull you back to the old understanding, the old way of processing who God is and what he thinks about you. And when things are getting good, religion tells you they're too good or you don't deserve it. And that's the moment in time where you get to tell religion, the ugly face of religion that brings condemnation and shame and turmoil and suspicion and and all the things that we read on Sunday, that's your opportunity to tell religion, I know I don't deserve it. That's the point of the cross. Amen. Come on. Amen. We get what we don't deserve. Amen. Verse 2. I, Paul, am of the opinion that you can quote me. If you would again consider circumcision as necessary to improve your standing before God, then you make Christ of no relevance to yourselves then you might as well delete him from your life altogether. See, these two systems, these two systems, one being the old system, the old covenant that existed before Jesus came and, and struck a new deal with humanity. This old system was the, 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 the mirror Bible refers to it as the DIY system. It was the do-it-yourself system, which means that everything you received or attained from God was done as a result of your action. The issue is, is that Jesus came and said, mankind has failed miserably Amen. in fulfilling this law. They, they fail every day. And whether you know it or not, you fail every day. And I fail every day. And if we were under the old covenant, and this was before Jesus, you and I every day would have some serious stuff to account for. Every day. And so this system was, was based on the merit of your ability to live right. And if you had, listen, and I'm talking to me too, let's say we. If we had the ability to live right, then we wouldn't need Jesus. Amen. Uh, people say to me, you know, well, Jesus came to show the way and then we have to follow him. Mm, I, I, like to, I like to look at it this way. Jesus came sure to show us the way, but Jesus came and also realized that some of us are too dumb and stubborn to get on the way and get distracted easily on the journey and take U-turns and jump off into the, the woods for a moment and come back and do all sorts of stuff. So Jesus came and he even paid the price for boneheads like me who get distracted and off track and mess up. Come on. He even paid the price for me and maybe for you too. And so this DIY system was all based on your merit, your ability. It's the idea of if I go and lift weights, right, 
that something should happen. Something should change. I should see a change inside of me. Everything in this world is based on what you do. And if you go out and work hard, you receive a paycheck. It's, it's the wages. It's what you deserve. It's what you've earned. But when we apply that to faith, everything comes crumbling down because we cannot add up to the standard of the law. Can't. It's impossible. The Mosaic law was impossible for man to live up to it. That's why every day, we read in Hebrews on Sunday and, and on Wednesday, every day the priest would make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice to cover the sins. They didn't have the ability with that blood to remove the sins, but they could cover those sins. And the reason they had to shed blood every day is because every day those sins were visible again. Now you and I don't go in the backyard and slaughter a goat. Or calf. If you do, do not invite me to your house. Because you've got some weird stuff going on, all right? We don't do that. We don't do that. We don't make those sacrifices. But what we do is we make sacrifices with what we say, what we do, how we live. And we make sacrifices of our own emotions and our own mental health and well-being. Because we allow ourselves to get put in a cycle of shame and condemnation. And we think that shame and condemnation are going to motivate us. And shame and condemnation, condemnation might motivate you for a moment. But at the end of it, it leads to death. And you will be depressed and you will be, feel like there's no way out and you're going to feel trapped because at the end of the day, the cycle continues. And Jesus knew when God sent his son into this world, he knew something had to change. I'm getting off track here, but I feel like I need to stay there. And so I did. If you want to engage with the law, even a little bit of it. You make Christ irrelevant in your life, and you might as well delete him altogether. You actually render him powerless in your life. Why? Because you have essentially said to him, I have essentially said to him, I can now do, thank you for salvation, thank you for forgiveness, but the rest of this journey is up to me. And so now I am beginning to operate in my own power and ability. And Jesus says, okay. Have at it, buddy. Well, let me know when you're a mess. Because I've already paid the price, even for the mess you're getting ready to make. Right? Come on. That's good news, right? Anybody ever made a mess before? I know I'm in the right church. Come on now. Y'all are like, mess? No. Nuclear disaster, yes, but mess, no. It, I will state it categorically that if you endorse circumcision, which is the law, you're immediately obliged to keep the whole law. Law righteousness has nothing in common with grace righteousness. They are opposites. As impossible as it is for anyone to travel in two opposite directions at the same time, equally irrelevant Christ becomes to anyone who continues to pursue righteousness under the law. Our minds are made up. There is absolutely no advantage for anyone to pursue righteousness in the flesh. Righteousness is a spirit dimension that reali reality and can only be grasped by faith. I want to stop there for a moment. Righteousness cannot be grasped in your own flesh. 
your own ability, your own uh, mental strength, your own commitment, your own desire. It cannot be grasped through that. Faith is the only thing that will allow you to lay hold of the righteousness of God. Now, when I say faith, you think belief. But I'm going to show you what faith means in, in this context, if we can. God believes that we are fully represented in Christ, which takes circumcision or any contribution to the flesh out of the equation. Love sets faith in motion. Now, this is one of those sermons where if you lose me for two minutes, you're going to be so stinking lost at the end. You're going to be like, wait, what, what, what? So that's why I'm stopping at a couple places. If you got anything out of anything I said so far, fine, but forget it all. I want you to focus on this, all right? Two things. Let's go back. Two things. Righteousness can only be grasped by faith. And love sets faith in motion. Okay? Righteousness can only be grasped through faith, and love is what sets faith in motion. Let's just hold on to that for a moment. I'm going to tie that together in a moment. You started off like an athlete on a mission who distracted you. You seem so completely persuaded about the truth. But God is not confused about you. He named you. Someone here tonight needs to hear that. God is not confused about you or how he feels about you. I'm going to take it one step further. If you were here on Sunday, this will make sense to you. Some of you are confused about you. And some of you are confused about what God thinks about you. But he is not. He does not change his mind. He cannot change his mind. His mind is fixed on what he thinks about you, and he will not change it. So you are a son and you are a daughter, whether you go out and lie, cheat, steal, murder. You're still a son or a daughter. You're a son and a daughter who decided to lie, cheat, and steal. But you don't become a liar. Come on, you don't become a cheater, you don't become a thief, and you don't become a murderer because your identity is found in what Christ has done for you. And so some of you need to let go of the past, let go of the labels, let go of the identity you've allowed society to put on you, and finally and completely embrace that you're a son and a daughter, and there is nothing you can do to change that. Come on. God is not confused about you. Your mama might be confused about you and think, well, sometimes I think she's this and sometimes I think she's that. I'm not sure which week she's going to be this or that on. Your mama might be confused. God is not confused. He knows what you are. He knows what he's called you to. He knows what he's destined you for. He knows what he's created you for. He's waiting for you to wake up and realize who he knows you are. Come on. Your understanding will fix all the other stuff if we will actually grasp what he thinks about us. He's not confused. Amen? Amen. That's a free, free appetizer side dish op- option for you. Hebrews 11. Anyone hungry? Hebrews 11, to one, 1 and 2. I'm going to bring this faith, this hope thing, this love thing, righteousness. I'm going to bring these all together in a moment, okay? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For, for by it, the men of old gained approval. I want to stop here for a moment because I want you to see what this looks like when you begin to expand the Greek out of this, okay? Persuasion confirms confident expectation and proves the unseen world to be more real than seen. Faith celebrates as certain what hope visualizes as future. 
I'm going to put it to you this way. Faith is complete trust or confidence in something. Faith involves intellectual assent to a set of facts. Faith is not based on a feeling. Faith is not based on a desire. Faith is not based on, I hope, I wish, maybe it would be really great if God is or does this. Faith is based on the assurance of the facts of what you know Jesus is and what he's done and who he's created you to be, period. When you have faith, you're not hoping for something good to happen. When you have faith, you are placing your bets on the idea that Jesus is who he says he is and he's done what he said he's done. So you don't step out in faith going, God, I just hope you meet me here. No, you step out in faith. And when you step out in faith, it looks like this. Because I know who you are and who I am in you and what you said, I'm going to step out and do this with full assurance that you have my back, Jesus. That's faith. If you're scared and mamby-pamby and oh, this and that, then maybe you're confusing hope with faith. Because hope is different. Hope visualizes the future. Hope says, I hope... Tomorrow will be a better day. I hope I'm blessed. I hope that God gives me favor on this job interview. Faith says tomorrow will be a better day because he has my back. Faith says I'm going to go to this job and these people are going to hire me because he has my back and he's favored me. Come on. Faith says I'm going to step out in the morning a someone who is who is in life, who is uh, successful and favored and has opportunities in front of them, not somebody who carries a record or carries a stigma or carries an identity that's been put on us. Faith is the assurance of what he's done. Now, the reason I'm preaching this now is because if you don't understand that you don't have to earn or deserve what he's done in your life, then we get faith confused because now when we mix, come on, go with me for a moment. When we mix the DIY law with the new covenant grace finished work and we allow the DIY law, the do-it-yourself old system to influence our faith decisions, what begins to happen, I know this is deep for Wednesday night, but I want you to see this. What begins to happen is we begin to put our faith in our ability to fulfill a law that's already been fulfilled. And that is not faith. That's a waste of time. Because if you think you're going to accomplish it on your own and you're putting your faith in that, which is what we're doing when we put it in the law, you are sadly and sorely mistaken. You're just going to keep going around the circle. If, that's why it says law righteousness and grace righteousness are two opposite things. Because law righteousness is based on your ability to be in right standing with God based on what you do. Grace righteousness is the idea that you're in right standing with God because of what he's done. And so when the reason I've been hammering for two years, the finished work of the cross is because if we get this right in our minds, then all of these things that we've learned about faith and hope and love and peace and grace and all this stuff, all these things along begin to be energized and fueled from the place of understanding of what he's done on the cross for us. And so that's, I'm strategically teaching this in a way that will begin to unlock some stuff for you and I. Now, I want to show you this for a moment, if we can. People of previous generations received the testimony of their hope and faith. It was faith that made their hope tangible. Okay, look at this for a moment. I, I wrote this down because I want to tie it together for you. If love is what sets faith in motion, 
Go with me for a moment. And faith is the only way to receive righteousness. Then we have to understand what faith is. Okay? And in the scripture in Hebrews 1 and 2, 11, 1 and 2, it says that faith is the substance. As we read here, we realize that the substance that they're talking about, the what faith is, 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 has become or is or is based on or is the very foundation of is what Jesus is and what he's done. Faith is synonymous with Christ and what he's done. So the substance, go with me for a moment, the substance of our faith is the accomplishment and the redemption on the cross. So if we are redeemed, then our faith is not just active, it's powerful. If we live a life not understanding our redemption and innocence, then our faith is powerless. Are you with me? So let's check this out. I'm going to show this to you. I know it's a little confusing. I tried to simplify it tonight, but I know you're going to get it. I have faith in you. <laughs> wink, wink. So love sets faith in motion, and faith is the substance of the promise fulfilled in Christ. And faith is what ultimately allows us to embrace definitively that we are righteous. So this whole pattern, I'm going to show you this now. This whole pattern starts with what? Love. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. He says, God's, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The gospel hinges on the concept or the idea that God loved us first. Another one says that he loved us while we were yet, what? Sinners. His love is like a siren that won't stop going off. And so you can run, you can hide. I know some of y'all have done some B&Es up in this piece, so look, okay. Do you know you can pull the electric, you can do it, and the siren just keeps going off. He's got backup after backup after backup with his love, and you can try to sabotage his love. You can try to run from his love, but he loved you when you were still a sinner, when you were still running, when you still hadn't come back to him. He loved you, and he loved you, and he loved you, and he loved you when you didn't love him, and when you didn't respond with your life, and when we lived like heathens, and when we sinned every day, every minute, when we were trying to break the Guinness Book of World Records of how many different ways you could sin in a day, he was still loving you. The Bible says nothing can separate us from his love. No height, nor death, no principalities, no powers of darkness. Nothing can separate us from his love. So if nothing can separate us from his love, and we actually begin to believe that God loves us regardless of what we have done, or where we're at, or where we're going, or who we just did it with, or whatever. If we actually begin to embrace that, love begins to set the faith of who Christ is and what he's done in our life and what he has finished for us in motion. If you say to me today, I am lost. I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know where to start. Start with understanding how much God loves you. You could be in church for 40 years and not get this one piece and spin around in a circle for 40 years. If we understand how reckless, over-the-top, indulgent, crazy, mind-blowing, 
unexplainable, indescribable God's love is for us and how nothing can stop it, it will actually begin to put faith in motion. Faith is the substance of the promise fulfilled in Christ. So what we begin to do is we begin to actually move and operate and live our lives in the fulfilled promises of Christ as we begin to embrace his love and faith gets set in motion. And I'm going to take this a step further. I think it's on the, maybe on the next screen. Maybe on the next screen, but that's okay. And because righteousness only comes through faith, You will never receive and walk in the righteousness that Christ has for you until you first realize how loved you are. Come on, do you hear me? It all starts there. If you get back to that moment and you realize how loved you are and you begin to love him back because you can't contain yourself and you come into relationship with him. See, if you come to me and you have any life problem, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, we're going to start at square one and we're going to go back to relationship. You can say, well, yeah, but I've got this influence in my life and I've got this going on and I have this tendency and I have this addiction and I have this issue and I, I'm, I'm in debt and I have this and I have that and I'm homeless or I'm this and that. You can go through any list of problems with me. We're going to go back to relationship because it all starts embracing that God loves you right where you're at. The issue I have with modern religion is we tell people, God loved you enough to send his son to die for your forgiveness. And you can experience that love, but get your act together. This ain't for sissies. Get your act together. Don't fool around with this. Get your act together. And the whole time God's saying, whether you get your act together, whether you're good, whether you're perfect, whether you're a scoundrel, his love is still pursuing you. Why? Why is it that he doesn't throw everything else at you? Why is it that the only weapon, if you will, the only invitation that he has for you from the very beginning, from the very beginning of time, is I love you? Because he knows that love sets faith in motion. And he knows that the righteousness and redeemed innocence that every single one of us received through Christ comes as our faith begins to be firmly planted and promises fulfilled because of Jesus. It all starts with love. Does this make sense tonight? It all starts with love. I, I think I wrote it basically the same thing, just a different way. got music on and I'm changing the song. No, I blame you, Don. I blame you. Wait, was that it? Yeah, yeah. We, f we fully embrace, oh, here it is. We only fully embrace our righteousness when we base it on the substance of what Jesus has done. And we only embrace that when we learn to be loved by him. We only fully embrace our righteousness when we base it on the substance of what Jesus has done. And we only embrace that when we learn how much he loves us. It all starts there. I have, I have met with and talked with some people that I have great respect for, for their knowledge of the scriptures, their knowledge of the word of God, their knowledge of, of all sorts of stuff. And at the end of the day, as I'm talking to them, as I'm hearing how they're describing God and they're hearing how they're describing their relationship and that I, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm realizing they don't know they're loved. 
they're still trying to earn it. If you've ever been in a relationship where you felt every day like you had to earn the person's love, affection, and attention, where it felt like you were never catching up, you were always falling behind, it's not a pleasant feeling. And you text and you drop off gifts and you send pictures and you do whatever you do and you say, and you're, you're trying to speak their love language and yet every day it feels like you're getting further and further behind because love is an expression of a heart. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you can earn from heaven. God's love was there for you when you and I were a mess. God's love cannot be separated. It can't be run off. As I said on Sunday, it was an Adam's sin that separated him in the garden. It was Adam's reaction to his sin. Adam is the one that hid from God. God did not hide from Adam. Some of us are hiding from fully entering into the faith expression that I'm talking about here. Because we don't really believe that we deserve to be loved. Whether we've told ourselves or we've been told repeatedly by others. Can I tell you a crazy story? You wanna know how nuts I am? What time is it? Give me the time, give me the real time. Don't give me the fake time, 10, 15 minutes. Oh my heavens, I got like 45 hours, right? Okay. Right, I'll finish quick. I'll tell you a crazy story. So um, I, God puts me in the most awkward situations, like me just doing this like this. She feels awkward right now. If you have not felt awkward around me, then you haven't met me. That's what I do. I just make people feel awkward. I can't help it. It just, I bleed awkwardness. It's okay. And um, I'll kiss and hug people that don't, I don't even know their name. I don't care. I'm just like, hey, hey. I, we, we checked into a hotel one time and, and, and I didn't know the person behind the desk and before you know it, I was behind the desk hugging them and just holding on like we're ready old pals, just watching them put my room number in there. It's like, he, then the guy's just looking at me like, I'll put you in an awkward situation. So I think the Lord knows I can handle awkward. So he just throws me the most awkward things. This was, uh, I think 10 days ago. It was not this past Sunday. It was the Sunday before. I, I, I'm not going to tell a story on Sunday. So you Wednesday focus, you get it. You get an exclusive access to this one. Pastor Dan's awkward story of the week. Maybe we'll do that on Wednesday night, every Wednesday night. So I'm at, I'm on my way home after my mom's house, um, after some stuff that we did last Sunday night. And um, as late as about maybe nine o'clock, I think. And I pulled into the Whole Foods parking lot, you know, there, uh, the new one on, on University. And I went to the Wawa gas station that's right there. And I pull up behind this, like, maybe 10-year-old Ford Explorer. And this girl is outside of the truck. And I can't see her, I can just see she has black hair. And the Lord says, now this is a gas station at night, kids. A gas station at night, single guy, okay? I'm not single, but she doesn't know that. And the Lord says, go tell her she's beautiful. I'm like, you tell her she's beautiful, you made her. He's like, go tell her, I'm like, I'm literally in my car like this. Like, I'm just, I'm going to wait this thing out because how long can it take to pump your gas? I'm like, listen, buddy. 
I am not going to approach a woman by herself as a man by myself in a gas station at night and say, hey, God told me he wants me to tell you you're beautiful. I'm totally married. This isn't creepy, okay? I'm like, I'm not doing it. I was like, no. And he's like, tell her. She desperately needs to hear it. I'm like, no. He says, she, he says to me, it's clear as day, he says, the Lord speaks to me and says, something happened this morning. She needs to know she's beautiful. I was like, what could possibly have happened this morning? Okay, somebody wore the same shirt as her to work. What happened? Maybe they have uniforms. I don't know, like what? So I'm arguing with God. I was like, no, I just said, no, I'm not doing it. So I got out of the car and she's pumping her gas. And all of a sudden, she must have got a hankering for more than just gas. She needed to go into the convenience store. And guess who walks in side by side with me into the convenience store? Because I wasn't going to sit there and pay at the pump. I was going in because I didn't want to wrestle with God anymore. And he psyched me out because as I'm walking in, she's walking next to me. And I swear to you, the homegirl was walking shoulder by shoulder to me like this. And I'm like going diagonal away from the thing. And she's right next to me the whole time. And I'm like, Lord... So we get about three steps from the door, and I just stop her. I was like, stop. And she was like, I said, I don't know why. I said, and I was just awkward as you all get out. I said, listen, I'm a happily married man. I love my wife. I do not mean any offense by this. But God stopped me when you were in front of me. I was, the get, I was at the pump behind you. And he said, she needs to know she's beautiful. And I don't know what happened this morning, but God sees you as beautiful. And I said, um, and then the Lord gave me this song. I forget who sings it. It's called Beneath Your Beautiful. And it's all about seeing beneath somebody's outward appearance. And, and they're beautiful. And I said, I don't know if you know this song, but you need to listen to it. And the Lord told me to tell you that you need to find somebody that sees beneath your beautiful. And I was like trying to make it clear. It's not me. Okay. It's not me. I'm like, but you, like, I was like talking to her like this. I'm like, you really need to find somebody to see. It's okay. Because all I need is rumors swirling around about that. And so she, she just kind of looks at me shocked and her eyes, shocked and her eyes get real big. And I'm like, she's like, thank you. Thank you. I'm like, you going to fill me in? Like, you know, <laughs> like, this is the creepiest thing I've ever done, and you're not going to tell me. <laughs> so she turns her back and goes to walk away, and I'm like, oh, no. So I go to get the door, try to be a gentleman, and I go to get the door. And right when I do it, I said, I have to ask you, does that make any sense to you? She starts crying, and she says, my long-term boyfriend broke up with him this morning. And when I asked him why he was breaking up with me, he told me it was because he didn't find me attractive anymore. Wow. And then I feel like a moron right? She began to cry and weep. And I'm dancing around the, uh, the Wawa, finding this and finding that and getting a drink. And I like to get crackers sometimes. I'm getting crackers and like, like I'm 90 years old. Anyways, <laughs> and I'm doing, you know, some Metamucil, you know, <laughs> and I'm collecting all these things together. And it seems like everywhere I went, she would go. And every time she would look at me and start crying again. And I knew in that moment, as silly as it was, as creepy as it was, in that moment, she needed to know that she was loved. She needed to understand that God loved her enough to send a single, awkward, creepy guy to tell her this at a gas station at night. Come on. Because, and listen, if I see any of you at gas stations, don't come up to me and start that mess, okay? Do you think I'm beautiful? <laughs> We're like, no, get back in your car. So 
Um, but if you think about it, I'm going to close with this. If you think about it, at the end of that, at the end of this journey tonight that we went on, how hardcore is God in pursuing your heart? He's so single-minded. His love for you is so single-minded because he knows if you can understand how much he loves you, that it will set the faith in motion that is the promises fulfilled in Jesus. And that as your faith begins to grow and flourish, that you'll understand the righteousness of God that he's given you, the grace abundantly that he's given you comes not as an earned reward, but as a free gift from heaven. But it comes from the understanding that he loves me enough to give me what I don't deserve. And when you receive that, your life and your behavior begins to respond to that understanding. You live right because your behavior responds to your understanding. Come on. Your understanding will never respond to your behavior. Your behavior will respond to your understanding. If we can get your understanding, my understanding right, our behavior will respond. Does that make sense tonight? You better say it more emphatically than that or I'm not going to end. Okay? There you go. Hey, I love you guys. This is great tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this word. Um, we thank you that we understand that the substance of our faith is found in the fact, the pure fact that Jesus paid it all. And as we base our faith in that, that we, we understand that love can set that emotion in our lives and the righteousness of God then, then becomes an active part of our understanding. And Lord, when we walk around understanding that we are righteous and we are redeemed, there's nothing that can hold us back from being the light you've called us to be from accomplishing and becoming who we've been destined and called to do and be. So God, let us come back to that first place, that understanding that more than anything else in this world, you are pursuing us. You are pursuing our heart and your love for us is everlasting. We can't be separated from it. It never runs out. It's always chasing us down. Thank you for this understanding tonight. Bless your people tonight as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. I hey, love you guys. See you soon.